0: Hello, thank you all for coming. I'm Rachel Cook, with me is Marianne Elliott and Ben Power. Marianne is an associate of the National Theatre, and she's the acclaimed director of Husbands and Sons. Um, Her productions include War Horse, The Curious curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime, and more recently, Rules for Living, Port, and The Light Princess. Um, Ben is a writer and dramaturge. I live in fear of saying that the <laughs> wrong way. And he's the Deputy Artistic Director of the National Theatre, where he's worked on over 30 productions, including the brilliant Medea that starred um, Helen McCrory. And he is the adapter of husbands and sons. Um, all three of us are, um, I think, de sons and daughters of the North, and that may or may not inform <laughs> our conversation today. Um, these plays, if you haven't seen them, are a lot to do with belonging and sense of place and leaving where you come from. So, um, Ben, I want to start with you because I know that the initial impetus, I know that when you came to the National yeah. Theatre, you were very keen to do maybe one or two of these plays because yeah. there are three plays in here, aren't there? Yeah, so, tell us why.
1: Well, so, I knew these plays a little bit. I had seen a production of The Daughter in Law at the Young Vic, which was on maybe 10 years ago now. Um, Actually, that Anne-Marie Duff in Husbands and Sons was was in playing, uh, Minnie Gascoigne. So yeah when I came to the National I thought that it would be a good idea for us to read all three of the Lawrence mining plays and see whether they were things that we might want to produce and I actually had a sort of secret agenda that I thought Marianne would be the perfect director for one of these plays and maybe we should read them and see which one she liked or which one Nick Heitner liked because it was you know we're talking five years ago now Um, and we read them and I thought we all thought that Daughter-in-Law was great which is what we expected because it's sort of the most well-known and it's acclaimed when it's done. But the surprise, I think, for us all when we read them was how great Collier's Friday Night and The Widowing of Mrs. Holroyd were. And so that began then a sort of period of struggle while uh, me and Marianne tried to work out um, which one we should do, or how we should do them, or what we should do about this amazing trilogy of plays. So that was the beginning, really.
0: And how did it, I mean, it's an incredible thing you've done, but in the end, how did you work out that you were going to do a kind of version of all three of them?
1: Well, we did um, a workshop at the National Theatre Studio uh, with some fantastic actors, some of whom are in the company now. Um, And we read all of them back to back. And I think we realised then that we wanted to do something more than just a production of one of the plays. And indeed, we started talking about doing all three full-length complete, the trilogy, which is what Peter Gill did very famously at the Royal Court uh, in the mid-60s. Um, and that felt like an exciting idea. But actually, as we, when we read them, the repetitions and echoes and the chimes within them, which is why we thought presenting them together might make a kind of sense, um, also felt repetitious. Or, you know, Lawrence never saw these plays on stage in his life. It's really Mm. important to remember that. So they exist as sort of, I think it's good to think of them as drafts, working drafts, Mm. because he never saw them on stage, so he never finished them. I mean, we know as people who work in the theatre that you're always working and reworking and nothing's finished, even when it has been in front of an audience. Um, So he didn't have the end of the process. So I guess we then began to think that maybe there was a way in which you could Compress the plays and put them together and get the full spectrum of it, the full vision, but but allowing us to cut and shape them a little bit so t- to make it it feel really everything that was on stage was essential.
0: Yeah. So before we talk about how you did that, so in that studio where you're, did you feel the same, Marianne, that that it was it would make sense to, to kind
2: of. Uh, squidge
0: them together a bit.
2: <laughs> yeah, we listened to one after the other after the other. And <clears throat> there were a few people in the room, I remember, who looked decidedly bored. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, um, but Ben and I got more and more passionate about hearing the plays as the day progressed. And I think what happened for me was that it felt very close to me in lots of ways because it felt very northern. It's Mm. not really northern, it's sort of uh, North Midlands. But it felt very similar to a lot of characters that I knew as I was growing up in the north. And it made me feel that um, this amazing, incredible sense of interconnectedness and community, which was so essential then. is now lost in a lot of those places. Mm. And because I was brought up in the 80s, although I know I only look like I'm 21, <laughs>
1: <laughs> um,
2: I was really re- reminded of the, the miners' strike and um, what, how that had affected people as I was growing up. And uh, I also felt this incredible sense of palpable, uh, well, tsunami of feelings, lots of different feelings, but one was uh, a massive sense of, isolation, loneliness, uh, a sense of yearning, a sense of absolute love for these people. Because when he wrote these plays, he was in his 20s, Mm. which makes you sick. But (laughs) he was in his 20s, and he was writing about a world that he knew incredibly well, um, and particularly about the women that he knew incredibly well, because he was ill a lot of his upbringing. So he was at home with his mum. And he had left it because he had actually been educated out of it. So he was no longer part of it. So this sense of real love, yearning, wanting to be part of it, but also being very much ostracized from it. Um, And maybe that spoke to us, because Mm. we both were brought up in in the North and no no longer living there. Um, But I I, I felt this incredible connection with the piece. as Ben said, we thought, "Well, should we do them one after the other?" And we thought of these amazing ways that we'd never have the budget to be allowed to do. You know, we'd turn the Olivier into <laughs> three different houses, and there'd be three tiers, and the audience would walk into one house, and then they'd go upstairs, and there'd be another house, and there'd be this play would be going on, and it would be some amazing Evo Van Hove extraordinary theatrical coup. Um, uh, But we realised that that probably we weren't able to do that for all various reasons, but also even if we were that actually, if you were able to see each play one after the other, as Ben says, you'd feel like you'd seen it in a previous play, Mm. but we really Mm. wanted the sense of this collection of stories and these parallels to come out, because when you see the three or when you hear the three together, you see the sense of incredible parallel which when you see only one you know means something for the specific characters but doesn't have the the many reverberations that i think he he felt they had and the sense of universality you know what he's actually saying about the relationships between mothers and their sons i think he's saying is quite universal not just specific Mm. to um one Historic, of the characters. Yeah, or yeah. That,
0: yeah. So um, Ben, you at that point you had to come up with a, a a text, and I there's only one of these plays that I really know. So can you just give us an idea of how much furniture removal <laughs> you did, and how much yeah. you changed things and clicked them together?
1: Yeah, I mean the most important thing to say is that I didn't do it on my own. That we did it together, and then actually the process really happened an awful lot in the rehearsal right. room because um, as those of you who haven't seen it yet will see when you see the show it's um it's like a piece of music the The way that you move between one storyline, one set of characters, one family, and another is it's all in the timing, yeah. so it was something that had to happen sort of practically and on its feet as much as it could happen away with me a a computer but um yeah a a, a lot has been cut, but I think. What was interesting is the bits that sort of demand to be included sort of in spite of themselves. So when when Marianne says that we were getting really excited through that day of hearing everything, what's amazing is that there's the tiny details that you hold on to, actually. The whole thing has a kind of, in the end, a sort of huge uh, tragic arc to it, but it's it's the mother Giving her daughter a bag of pine nuts that kind of really <laughs> sits with you. Actually, that's what I, you know, it's the, it's the man, the way a man eats a bag of grapes after he's been in a mine all day and then a pub all evening. You know, that's the kind of um, vivid, detailed sensuality that yeah. you get from the writing yeah. that you then, you know, you see in Lawrence's novels as well. And that's where you really feel, I think, that he's writing about a world that he knows and loves and is inside of. So the the kind of question of how to cut it is quite um a delicate one because you want to really preserve that detail particularly you know in in that in the play that contains both those moments and a collier's friday night which is sort of without plot yeah you know yeah. It, it i mean there is there's a huge emotional thing going on under there but sort of nothing happens it's played out in almost real time on in one evening in the in the kitchen of this family so for that to sit alongside two plays that actually have quite a lot of plot particularly the daughter-in-law which is sort of full narrative and and takes place over a much longer period of time um the the sort of beginning to tweak them or push them to try and find Mm. contact that was the the job really and then in the end making some quite big interventions in order to sort of try and and give it a sense of Coherence and give it a sense of a a single whole thing, which is what we really wanted.
0: So, I want to talk about some specific aspects of it. And the first thing is the sense of place. Mm. I mean, we're in this extraordinary set, which is Three houses, but it feels like a village. Uh, and of course, the plays are set in Eastwood, where Laurence grew up. And so, how? What? How? You, I mean, did you know from the beginning, for instance, that you would do it in the round? Was that very important as to how you saw the production?
2: Yeah, it was really, really important. I mean, I, we had to quite a battle on our hands, yeah. really. I was probably battling. You as well, is yeah. Yeah, <laughs> sure. yeah, 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 absolutely. Oh, Deputy Artistic Director. But um, uh but
1: it's all, I think it all comes back to you and the exchange, actually. And uh-huh. sort of, thinking about this theatre, the theatre space that we're sitting in, but also the Manchester Royal Exchange space where the production goes after it's run here, mm-hmm. which is like, where well, it's your home, in the theatre, isn't it? It was a place where I used to go and see plays when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. But that sort of gives you a, such a sense of... Community. When you're watching something, mm. such a sense of the, the audience and the characters being in the same place. And this theatre, when it was the Cottesloe, some of the the first productions in here, the you know the Bryden Company productions of things like *Lark Rise to Candleford*. Mm. These shows, which you know famously put an audience inside a really specific community, um, mm. were maybe were were touch points. But yeah, you know, you and Bunny knew. Quite quickly, how you wanted to do it, didn't you?
2: Yeah. So it was going to be a co-production with the R- Royal Exchange. So obviously that is, that's in the round. Um, but I think that I felt, and you know, you can only know these things intuitively at the initial stages. That there's so much above and beyond what the characters say that needs to be picked up by the audience. You know, the 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 minutiae of the detail of how somebody cooks the meal, or looks at somebody, or, um, or doesn't look at someone, or chooses to look out of a window, or how they move in these tiny, tiny, tiny spaces. Because the, these spaces of the houses are the real sizes of, of the houses in Eastwood, and the house that DH, D.H. Lawrence grew up in. In fact, there are two houses here. One was the, his birthplace, and one was uh, the one that he, was, he, was, he, was, he grew up in. Um, and what I found rehearsing this piece um, is something that I suppose I was intuitively realising initially, which was uh, the most extraordinary sense of feeling. It's a little bit like working on a, on a Tennessee Williams, I've only done one. I've only been lucky enough to do one. And then it was a particularly drug-addled one, the one I did. Um, uh, the play, not the, the process. Play, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and uh, I found that what happened in that situation was not dissimilar to this situation which is that you'd go into a rehearsal room and you'd be prepped up to your eyeballs and you'd know exactly what you thought it was and you'd know exactly what you thought the characters were doing to each other and why and all of that and then you'd you'd stand it up and it didn't sound right so you were then trying to find the right the right sound or the right tone and and then work backwards, okay, we've got that tone, that sounds right, what does that then mean about your character, what does that then mean about the next moment, what does that tell us about this particular uh, moment in the scene? And working on the D.H. Lawrence was very similar in that it it was about feeling, because a lot of these characters are humongous in their sense of feeling, but inarticulate, Mm. or if they are articulate, which a lot of the female characters are, they're very repressed and constrained Mm. by their circumstance. So feeling is just Mm. like a pressure cooker and lots of different types of feeling. Mm. Um, So that doesn't answer at all what you mean. Well,
0: I I think also sometimes they say things they don't mean.
2: Yes. Uh, They say the opposite of what they They mean. And they lie. So you think, oh, well, this character <laughs> said that. Well, therefore, that means that that's what they believe. No, clearly, it doesn't <laughs> as you're rehearsing it. Clearly, they're just lying. <laughs> oh, shit. Well, what does that mean? Uh, so but isn't that, so doesn't
1: that feel incredibly accurate as a way yeah, of writing yeah, about totally, people yeah. and writing totally. about families? Quite well,
2: difficult when you're yeah. working on it because you think, well, <laughs> you've just told me that you think <laughs> this. Um, but but that meant that it felt really, really important to me to put it in the round because I needed the audience to be as close to the action as they could mm. possibly be mm. Mm. because then they could absolutely see the minutiae of um, what was going on beyond and the words. Um,
0: you have both mentioned these sort of quotidian details of cooking and eating, mm. but you have to draw a line, don't you? I mean, those Guild productions that you mentioned, they yes. were famously... Very yeah, yeah yeah um, and this is not quite that but there is a lot of um, there are lots of small actions going on below the big action of the mm-hmm. play and so how how did you negotiate that I mean what what decisions did you take about you know will someone <laughs> really fry an egg or will they pretend to fry an egg or you know <laughs> um, because yeah. I was I was fascinated by that when I was watching it
2: um, I think the idea for that after a long process of conversing with Bunny, Christie, the designer. I think the real reason behind all of that was because um, I I was slightly frightened of doing a not as good Peter Gill, Peter Gill. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Peter Gill does Peter Gill. And why would I want to replicate what he can do? Mm. Um, But also, I was slightly also scared of period productions This is absolutely personal and it's not absolutely correct and it's not what everybody else might be thinking but for me a period production can sometimes go into this sort of Vaseline lens of romanticism Mm. gorgeousness (laughs) and beauty and um, People can be glamorously poor Mm. and I didn't really want to do that because I felt that that can can, uh, stop you being Seriously and viscerally affected by what you're watching because you're seeing it through a lens of the of history, mm. and um, I have always been, oh, I say have always been, but I have for years been influenced by a film, Dogville, by um, von Trier. It's influenced a lot of my work, and I. I really wanted to show the humans in this. Mm. If we were to put three houses on stage and we were to play them constantly and simultaneously which we do which is a ridiculous idea but nevertheless we did it and um, they were to be properly making the dinner and properly eating and properly putting everything away and properly raking the fire then it would be about the business of that rather than, I'm much, much more interested in the humans. Mm. And if you don't see how they whip the egg, or if you don't see the coat going on, you just see the manner by which the coat goes mm. on, which is why we mime the coat going on, or we mime the whipping of the egg, whatever, you see the feeling or the intention behind it, rather than the prop. Mm. That's, that's the idea. Mm.
0: Um, now, dialect, oh, um, accents, it's really important with this play. Um, because it's, it, it really does locate not not just the types, but the, the individual characters. I think. I mean, it's very. Can you just talk a little bit about uh, the the dialect and how uh, accu- how how intent you were on making it accurate? Mm. Do you?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing on the page, he's right. He writes in that it makes yeah. the plays really difficult to read. Yeah. And you know, when you're sending the plays out to actors or other people at the theatre to read them for the first time. You can feel people pulling back because he's tri- he tries to, um, Lawrence, tries to write phonetically what he wants to hear. Mm. Um, and he's not actually always, ru- he sort of sometimes doesn't write exactly what he wants to hear. And that was a process that we had to uncover. But the, when you put the plays together, the need for specificity in that is just absolute. Um, the fact that some characters are of this village, some characters come from outside the village, so the, the choice of accents for Clara and Laura, who were the girls that Holroyd brings home, felt like they had to be something mm-hmm. else. And, yeah, I mean, it was a huge amount of work, wasn't it? All the way through the process um, with Penny, the, the mm-hmm. dialect
2: coach. Mm-hmm. I mean, What I felt <laughs> when we did the reading at the w- in the workshop was An- Anne-Marie came, which was a brilliant way to trap her into doing <laughs> the show with me because I desperately wanted to work with her again. Um, <laughs> She, she had done the daughter-in-law, so she knew the dialect, yeah. and what was amazing when she started putting those words in her mouth and that's what it felt like, you know, there were meaty things in her mouth that needed to be chewed, that uh, there was an incredible sensuality in the writing. In c- uh, not just the way that D.H. Lawrence <laughs> writes, because of course he's really interested in, in the sensual side of life and the sexual, and he's not ashamed and all of that is absolutely part of being a human for him. But it was the, uh, the dialect was incredibly earthy and mm-hmm. incredibly rich. And the way that people put things together in a kind of uh, um, usual phraseology or colloquialism from the, mm. I, from the area which isn't D.H. Lawrence but he uses it is rich, meaty, mm. yummy, <laughs> lovely, <laughs> powerful, extraordinary, mm. the use of vowels and consonants is just beautiful. So it, um, for me it's beautiful <laughs> and so if people didn't get the accent right they didn't have the character because the character is absolutely coming through the way the words sit in the mouth. Mm.
1: It's, it's also sorry. It's also a bit of a sort of polit- almost political choice on yes. our part, isn't it, to want to make words, yes. which is not in RP, and put it on stage at the National. Yeah. And no, like really, because it's 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 challenging, and sometimes audiences at this organisation and in other theatres in London really struggle with it, and I think kind of resent it. But we're talking about you know a place where we're from, lots of people involved in the production are from, and the way that millions of people in this country speak, and celebrating, as what Marianne says, the beauty of that and the poetry that Mm. you find in that, Mm. um, it feels really important.
0: Yeah, I think so. I just want to talk a little bit about men and women, (laughs) Um, because in terms of how a modern audience might uh, connect with this piece, Mm. I mean, this is a different time, but the men are, really masculine in it aren't they yeah and um the women are not that it's not that they're feminine but they are that there's a big separation between the men and the women and and dirt is a kind of symbol of that you know the men yeah. are dirty and the women yeah. are always trying to keep the place clean um and I just wanted to talk to you a bit about, I mean how did you when you were directing the piece how did you feel about the sort of gender relations of it because it's 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 not something that we, as, as Ben said, we don't mm. see it a lot in the theatre, mm. this particular kind of interaction between men and women.
2: Oh, crikey, that's a really mm. long, good, mm. complicated question. Um, I, I, I felt lots of things about mm. it, actually. Maybe some things I shouldn't say, but... <laughs> no, say
0: them, say <laughs> <all> right, <then.
2: laughs> um, I felt I felt very consciously when I went into the process that I didn't want to judge any of the characters I didn't want the production to judge any of the characters so although I had a very strong female perspective on it I felt that the men were in their own ways just as sympathetic in some ways more um, so that was the, absolutely the aim um, and only you who view it can tell me whether that's that's we've succeeded or not um, I felt that felt very much that he had a complicated feeling about women Mm. and I felt very much he had a unresolved complicated feeling about mothers and his mother when he was writing it in his 20s and I think that he changed his attitude towards the end of his life so if he had ever seen the plays towards the end of his life would he have would have changed them is a question I think that he is utterly reverential of his mother utterly adores her. I think it borders into a sexual adoration. Um, I think also there's a a, a sense of hatred there too, Mm. because he felt very trapped by it. So it's a constant push and pull. And I'd say that the actresses in the play all all felt that to a certain extent. They're very, very complicated, all the females in this play. And all the men, to generalise hugely, I hope the actors aren't hearing this, um, uh, all the men in the play found it much more straightforward because the male characters are refreshingly straightforward. They know who they are, they know what they want, they know where they're going, they're not ashamed of themselves. What's interesting is that he puts them outside of their environment, in their own environments, they're heroes. In the coal mines, they're heroes Mm. and there's a fantastic camaraderie, Mm -hmm. or in the pub, fantastic camaraderie between them and they are absolutely full of pride and dignity. However, we don't see them in those situations. Mm. He puts Mm. them in the kitchens Uh, and the kitchens are ruled by the women Mm. and the women are very unhappy, a, a lot of them, repressed and aspirational and incredibly intelligent. And incredibly powerful and so the men come in and they're very much fishes out of water mm. um, so those are the sort of things I felt <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> so um, if you're going to see the plays tonight I really hope you enjoy them they are amazing um, and thank you to Marianne and to Ben
1: mm. thank you. Thank you.